Hi, my name is Yumna Nofal, and you're listening to the Y Chats podcast, which is the podcast version of our online show Y Chats, created for the youth to help entertain, inspire, and alleviate their concerns when it comes to their future in a region filled with turmoil. Your hopes, your visions, your chats start right now. connection and we are on good evening to everybody tuning in today we have a special guest dr saleh mashnu is about to join us so we're going to wait for him and um it's going to be interesting because i think uh he's going to have a lot of interesting things to say about everything that's been happening in lebanon you know it's been a busy two weeks uh with the aftermath of the explosion with the Special Tribunal for Lebanon. And um, he's a research fellow at Cambridge and we're waiting for him to join us at any minute. So Saleh, whenever you're ready, come on in. I see you, you have to request, uh, let's, let's get Saleh in. All right. Hey. Saleh. Good to see you. Hi, doctor. How are you? Uh, I'm good. How are you? It's good to finally be here. Looking very uh, professorial with all the... Are those books behind you? They look like books. <laughs> Have you read them? <laughs> Have you no, read they're them? just here for show. Okay. All right. <laughs> <laughs> so is my plant. <laughs> How are you doing? Um, we're broken. We're all broken. Yeah. Um, I think our... Our souls are shattered. I'm grateful to be physically okay, my family and I. Um, but otherwise, uh, we're injured. We're very deeply injured. The city's uh, soul has been ravaged uh, quite unfairly and illegitimately, I think. Um, and I think the only way people like you, people like I, are trying to pick up the pieces and try to heal is by trying to speak up and um, do some good and contribute yeah. even in the slightest way to the revival of the city. Um, you know, it's uh, it, looking at social media and talking to people on the ground and having covered it, you know, two weeks and a half in now, it's still very hard to process. And I think it's going to be hard to process for a long time. This is not your usual, you know, back to business kind of deal because we, we kind of got used to that in Lebanon. But this I mean, time, it, it feels different. Fair. Does it? Do you think it's different? I mean, first, I think this is something that will define our generation yeah. um, in terms of our relationship to the city, our relationship to each other, um, mm -hmm. our relationship to our past. But I think what's most important, Yumna, is that we do not want and we should not want this to be just another incidents, like the incidents our grandparents and our parents have lived with. Um, we don't want to acknowledge the dead people as martyrs. We want to recognize them as victims of aggression. Um, we don't want to be resilient. We don't want to hold on to this distorted myth of Lebanese resilience, which started off as a well-defined idea of picking yourself up wherever you are and trying to do good for yourself and your family. And eventually it turned, up, turned to be some form of apathy towards the continuous 
degradation of our lives, both individually and collectively. Um, we don't want to thrive on the idea that we coexist um, as if we're just a bunch of individuals put together for no particular purpose and no particular sense of moral beings. Um, we don't want to cherish the resistance just because it, it fights Israel. We don't want to romanticize the death of the 15-year-old boy. We're going to get um, to the resistance. We're going to get we, to we the don't resistance. Wanna, we don't want to romanticize the death of a 15-year-old boy who probably sold dream at the time was to get through his studies and make yes, Rudy, yes, Rudy, you're talking yes, about. Rudy, exactly. Yeah. Um, I don't think we want more of the same. There's a, there's a quote misattributed to Einstein, but I think it still yeah. holds uh, some purpose, um, is that insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. Um, we should stop doing more of the same thing. This should be a defining moment for us, for our generation, for the younger generation, to say something has to stop um, and something has to be born anew. Well, Saleh, leave something for the whole interview. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a, you know, it's interesting for you to, to, to say that because um, it's a lot, there's a lot of empathy, I'm sure, and a lot of sympathy uh, towards Lebanese people. Are you Beiruti, by the way? I think you I'm, are. I'm so this, so, so, you know, so and, and I am, and I am as well. And I think, you know, for, for something like this to happen and to really bring this, the capital to its knees, it breaks the whole country, like you said. And I think every, every Lebanese human, I think is inherently and emotionally a Beiruti. Yeah. This is not, uh, this is not just another city that you're born in and you're defined mm -hmm. by the fact that you were born in Mezra or you were born in uh, or you were born wherever. I think this city is um, a deeper sense of identity, and I think it the city serves a very significant purpose in our lives, in our cultural lives, in our educational lives, in our ability to live um, homogeneously, although it's a very heterogeneous city. Um, this is where we all come together and uh, share some common purpose. And it, it breaks my heart that a, a lot of the things um, that have been destroyed, um, not just people's souls and not, not just people's well-being, but also our, our cultural heritage, our joie de vivre. Um, this targeted area that you and I go to very often to see friends, to go to art galleries, to read books, um, to enjoy a common cultural life. Um, and this, this is the equivalent of, I don't like to use the word and I don't use it lightly, but this is a city that has been raped. Um, and this city deserves um, the accountability that comes with what happens and a sense of vengefulness that doesn't come with inflicting more pain and blood, but just feeding on its ability to go back and stand on its feet and go back to its original purpose. You know, Rabbi Alamuddin has, um, has one of my favorite uh, sayings about Beirut in his book, uh, An Unnecessary Woman which is a literary tool the false and a pleasant to read. He says, Beirut is the Elizabeth Taylor of cities. It's insane, it's beautiful, it's falling apart, it's aging, and it's forever drama-laden. And we want all of these things, but without the drama. I think we deserve to live um, That's That's a nice peace. way to put it. Listen, I, I, I don't, you know, I, thank you for saying that, first, first and foremost. Second of all, you know, I want to get into this explosion. I know uh, you and I are neither chemists or scientists, but 
there are so many conflicting reports and I know it doesn't matter, but do you, you know, the whole question that it's, that's been on everybody's mind and that's really resurfaced in the last week is, you know, was this explosion an attack or an accident? You know, government wants people to think maybe it was accidental. Some journalists and key chemists and security experts are saying it's an attack. Um, does it matter? Any weight on that? Well, let me, let me start by telling you what I believe the, to be the ultimate truth. And then mm-hmm. we'll dive into our lack of knowledge for science. Go ahead. Um, I think it was an attack, a ravaging of the city by the same perpetrators who brought, the SD, who brought to us the economic meltdown, the lira devaluation, the 50% poverty rate, the skyrocketing unemployment, the wars of 1993-1996-2006, the fallback of the wars of Yemen and Syria and Iraq, and their consequences on Lebanon Lebanese economy are a continuous sense of despair and loss and pain in the city. Now, the scientific answer, Yumna, because neither you and I are we're neither scientists nor We're forensic connected. experts, mm-hmm. nor do we want to be. So we don't know, and we won't know um, if the same people who brought to us this explosion that destroyed a quarter of the city are investigating this crime. And more importantly, Umna, it doesn't really matter. Mm-hmm. It doesn't really matter. Some of our viewers have been saying that, yeah. Exactly. The explosion that happened in Beirut port is not an isolated event. It's a culmination of an entire decade of policies that drove us into this catastrophe. What we do know for certain, Yumna, and that's the only undeniable fact of this entire drama for the city, is that for the past decade, our country, reeling in decade and heading towards a failed state, has been ruled by a poisonous magic formula of what I call the mafia militia nexus, or abbreviated as M&Ms. This nexus has driven the country purposefully or through sheer ignorance and incompetence into the misery that we are living in today. This ranges from everything, Yumna, because I don't want this Tell tell people mafia, what is mafia, and what do you mean by militia? Say it. I will. I will. I will. But let me tell you, I can't look at this incident Mm -hmm. from outside the sphere or the prison of a series of incidents that happened in the country, some of which did not result in death, but resulted in economic devastation. For example, a few weeks ago, you had the mafia militia nexus agreeing on creating a completely unnecessary and wasteful power plant in North Lebanon, ostensibly for Christians, but used by ethnic entrepreneurs to prop up their own careers. So you have this on the one hand, and it rages all the way to the bomb. The militia in this equation is Hezbollah, the only militia that refused to disarm after the civil war in the Taif Agreement, which stipulated that all militias in Lebanon must disarm. It stayed under the false pretext of fighting Israeli occupation and kept its arms even after the Israelis withdrew. The mafia is the co-opted sectarian and incompetent and vengeful and cowardly political elite that functions in its relationship with the militia according to a pretty simple modus operandi. And I want to explain this relationship because I think this relationship or this nexus helps us understand most of what happened in the country over the past 10 years. 
Okay. So what happens, Yumna, is the mafia, who are a bunch of non-ideologues, provide through a transactional relationship the militia with political cover and sectarian cover for it to go on its adventure escapades, fighting wars all over the region, completely illegitimately, completely contrary to our constitution and to our national pact, by fighting as a proxy for the Iranian Revolutionary Guard in Yemen, in Iraq, in Syria, training people in Venezuela, forming groups in Kuwait, things that have nothing to do with the Lebanese national interest. And in return, what the militia does is the militia provides the mafia, which are people that are leftovers from the civil war, mm -hmm. which have lost complete legitimacy in the eyes of the Lebanese, especially the young population. They make up for that with the militia using their military might and their political power and their consensus and their invasion of Beirut and their power over parliament to enable them to continue to thrive on the institutionalized corruption that they've instituted inside the Lebanese state. And I'll give you a very small example of how this mafia operates according to a cartel. They pretend to be in disagreement over ideological issues, but when it comes to benefiting themselves, they are able to sit down together and pack an already bloated Lebanese bureaucracy illegally with 5,200 employees, divided, dividing the spoils among members of the mafia. Right. So, so what I'm trying to explain here is that when it comes to the bomb, on the one hand, you have the president and the prime minister who were notified by security agencies that there's a looming and present danger at the port and then absolutely nothing. And their incompetent cronies that they've appointed in the administration also did absolutely nothing. And on the other hand, you have credible reports of Hezbollah operatives in Germany, in London, in Kuwait, and other places having been caught red-handed with ammonium nitrate. And you put all of these together and you get to understand how the mafia militia nexus actually uh, operates and functions. I, I really like how you call this the M&Ms, the militia and mafia. Um, and you said, you know, this is the ba this nexus is really the essence and the root of our problems. And they want to hear about possible solutions. And I want to get to that in one second. But I would be amiss if I didn't mention this, because when we announced that we were going to have you as a guest, and yeah. I'm sure you've gotten this a lot before, um, the mafia you speak of, the yeah. government that has been in rule for 10 years, yeah. unfortunately includes a man who was an interior minister for a mandate, who also happens to be your father. And I yes. know you get this a lot, but you know when you call the mafia vengeful and incompetent, um, how do you how do you put these two together when it's a man who is related to you? All right. First, let me let me start by saying that I this is a fair question. And I will not go to lengths to absolve uh, my father or anyone else of mm -hmm. the rightful slogan of the revolution, which is Kiloniani mm -hmm. Um He was interior minister, um, and he should bear responsibility for his own choices and his own actions. Um, in the grander scheme of things, let me start by saying that I, I fully sympathize with women and men who are very averse to the idea of sons or daughters of politicians of the yeah. political class being involved in public life. 
um, and that is something that's a fully legitimate aversion. Um, that said, I'm going to tell you the story like it is and without a script because you've known me since 2000, maybe eight or nine or 10. And I remember no, we met no, around 2002, 2002, Saleh. All right. But we came, <laughs> your memory, we became, we became better friends, um, in, in 2008 or nine or 10. Mm -hmm. Um, back then I was very active in politics, as you probably know. Um, I was teaching at LEU, I was a political activist, I was a commentator on TV. Um, and all of this stopped when my father became minister. Uh, when he rose to power and Saad al-Hariri quite unfortunately appointed him minister not once, but twice, yeah. I decided to put my activities on hold for three reasons, Yumna. And you're familiar with some of this from the past. Reason A, I did not want to be identified or known or defined as the son of someone, regardless of who that someone is. Um, number two, I believed strongly, as I wrote at the time, and I will quote myself in a little bit, that um, the involvement with an increasingly corrupt and inefficient and incompetent political class at the time was not something that I wanted to venture into. Mm -hmm. And number three, as is well known today, I disagreed with most of his policy, especially vis-a-vis -vis Hezbollah and the continuous compromising attitude that this political group had towards the militia, Hezbollah, in the name of coexistence and public safety, they're really at the core with the intent of staying and accumulating political power. These are well-known facts. I chose not to entangle myself in a public shouting match with him at the time. I thought it was more appropriate to take mm -hmm. a step back and pursue my studies, which I wanted to do. But I want to clarify, Yumna, and you're, you're familiar with this because we've spoken about this. I wrote two letters before I left in 2012. The first letter that I wrote on social media said on February 16, 2014, that I do not want part of this process, neither benefiting from its rewards nor bearing its burdens. A TV, a TV station ran an, a, a report claiming that I got appointed to a high-level position at the Ministry of Interior. Those of you who know me know that I would never, ever take up a post in a Lebanese state institution through any family member, regardless of whether or not I'm qualified to do this. Additionally, I joke, the only position I seek at the moment is director of the library at Harvard Law School, so I can decide when I can turn the lights off. The second letter I wrote at the time in a Nahar newspaper, and that's documented online for everyone to see, was an open letter to Prime Minister Saad al-Hariri at the time. And I wrote, and this is translated quite liberally, I wrote, it is becoming increasingly difficult to ignore the amount of corruption with which you are surrounded, whereby your cronies have amassed fortunes that cannot be explained or justified. What will you do about this perversion? These are both in year 2014. I, well, you know, I think it's fair to assume, and I, you know, when people would, were telling me, you know, oh, he is his father's son and the apple doesn't fall from, far from the tree and having known you and, 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 and spoken with you, you know, I think you've also gone to great length to really, I think, make a name for yourself in what you do and in what, you know, not just what you do, but really kind of come off as, you know, listen, it is what it is, right? You're not. We can't change who who we're how we're born we and who we're born parents, from. We don't choose our parents. Well, we right? we can. But you've made it very clear that we choose the path and the way forward. And I remember your activism days. And I think 
you know. Yuma, just to point out, and you're familiar with this, but I want people listening to us to be familiar with this as well. Yes. Um, for, five, for five years, as you know, he was the most powerful man, third most powerful man in Lebanese Republic. I chose to do a PhD, which I believe is not common practice among heirs of political families or, or powerful ma- mafia bosses. Not once in yeah. those five years did I choose to take up a public position through nepotism. I did not involve myself in business of any kind. Not once was my name flagged for five years in the Lebanese press or even online for being involved in any kind of activity that people would look down upon. And this is something I'm proud of. I understand that some people felt disappointed because I left and maybe was not there here to voice their concerns. But you really wanted to make the point behalf. that you, you wanted nothing to do with it. You wanted nothing yes. to do with it. That's the yes. point and you wanted to make. That, you want, you it, wanted to do your own thing. Yeah. By the, end, by the end of the day, I can't foot the same bill twice. Like, I mm-hmm. think I've already paid the price by going through the trauma of doing a PhD. Okay. <laughs> I don't think no, it's fair to You got the title doctor, so you yeah, got something you. out of it, right? Thank you. But I, I don't think it's, it's, fair, it's fair enough to for someone to hold biological responsibility, especially when someone has gone to great length um, to follow a meritocracy path. I'm fine if as a scholar and as an activist, people want Mm -hmm. to disagree with me, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm not fine being held responsible for something I went to really great length to avoid. All right, thank you for saying that because I want to move on with the questions. Salih, just in case your internet acts again, just go to the 4G or 3G as some of our viewers are saying because we want you here for the rest of these questions. Um, you know, you, you, you know, we, we mentioned we mentioned your father and and you know your father was uh, was a minister during Prime Minister Saad Hariri's mandate, yeah. um, and then. Last year, there was a revolution on October 17th, as you know, that ended up with the resignation of Saad Hariri. Just this past week, the special tribunal for Lebanon's verdict came out. This was a tribunal that that was 15 years in the making to find out who was behind the assassination of former Prime Minister Rafi Hariri in 2005. What do you make of the verdict? Generally, yeah, I think this is a verdict of historic proportions. This is the first time in our search for justice and accountability um, in our modern history, after hundreds of people in Lebanon, leaders in academia, in media, in politics, the judiciary, the military have been assassinated time and time and time again. And we've never been able, from Kamal Jumblat in 1976 to Muhammad Shatah in 2013, we've never been able to rely on a judicial decision that is... Even though it was an international court. Gable. It was an international it, court. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. So this is the first time that there's a credible international court that certifies beyond any reasonable doubt, and let me stress on this term, beyond any reasonable doubt, on the count of murder for political purposes, that there was a Hezbollah operative acting within a group of eight people that were involved directly in the assassination of Prime Minister Hariri, and that this assassination's motive was predominantly political in that they seek to block Hariri's efforts to get the Syrians to withdraw their occupation army from Lebanon. So this cements in legalistic terms what we all already knew, that Hezbollah engages in political violence, also known as terrorism, against its political opponents in the country, which undeniably classifies it as a terrorist group, 
because it engages in terrorist actions. Now, will the culprit be arrested? No, he wouldn't. But as a Do scholar, we even know where he is? Well, let me tell you this. I, I was a scholar of Bosnia for most of my PhD years. And there was an international court in Bosnia as well, the International Crimes Tribunal for Yugoslavia. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And Ratko Mladic, who was known as the butcher of Bosnia, was on the run for 16 years before he was arrested in the little village in Serbia. So it took NATO forces inside Bosnia. It also took Serbia wanted to join the EU. But at the end of the day, when the verdict came out, this person became an international and public opinion persona non grata. And there came a day where the right circumstances allowed for this person to be brought to justice and right. went, to, went to the hate. Um, what's most important for me now, Yumna, is the political truth is out there. Mm -hmm. This is not an investigation into a robbery that happened in our neighborhood. This is a political assassination. You know, it's it's very sad because, you know, you mentioned a string of political assassinations. The country hasn't had a few. It's had many for many years. And unfortunately, almost every single time, the truth is kind of disguised. It doesn't really come out. What's interesting, though, and this is what people are saying, is, all right, we know who the killer is. What's next? But what I want to get into is, you know, Saad Hadidi, after this verdict, there was talks, although they're they're unrelated, talks of him possibly returning as a prime minister at the helm of a national unity government. This, of course, is going to be rejected by the people. So where do we go from here? And what solution would you advocate? Okay, so um, let me try this. Okay. Um, first, the idea of a national unity government in Lebanon mm -hmm. is a complete deprivation of the consociational design that is applied in divided states such as Switzerland, Austria, and Netherlands, even Northern Ireland, etc. What we have is not um, a national unity government in a positive sense of a mature and constructive elite cartel working together to make sure that no ethnic group is discriminated against. It's just a bunch of mafia dons more like the godfather, less like Switzerland, that get together and agree on sharing pieces of, of the pie while remaining ideologically committed to perverse transnational ideologies that go all the way from Beirut to Iran. So okay, but well, what is the solution? A, what so is the let's solution? Start, let's start by not calling it a national unity government. Mm -hmm. It's a mafia cartel government. Because okay. there are national unity governments in countries that are divided, where all groups get together and cooperatively agree to share power in a way that's mm -hmm. constructive and useful, especially in very tough and trying times such as the ones we're living in today. What we need in Lebanon today is a structure of rule that trespasses from the mafia militia nexus. We need a prime minister that's independent, not beholden to political or sectarian bosses, that has a good reputation for being a stand-up person, woman or man, and working with a number of specialized people in specialized portfolios, where the person in charge of the electricity sector is actually specialized in this, although this is not what our constitution stipulates. But the founders of our constitutions and the designer of our constitutions did not predict that we would end up with a mafia militia nexus ruling this country. And they could not have predicted while thinking about constitutional clauses 
what kind of devilish mindset our political class operates within. So we need this government to A, come up with a credible financial and economic plan to get us out of this hole that we're in and get in touch with the IMF that thinks that Lebanon is very much unlike even its worst cases like Argentina or even some of the cases they had trouble with like Greece. The IMF is considering the Lebanese experience to be standalone experience in their long history of helping states out of their financial trouble. Never before have they experienced a political class that negotiates with them the way the Lebanese political class negotiates with them. And Are they negotiating? Because they're, they're talking, they're not even talking that they're ready well, about, they're ready to, 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 to have reforms. And reforms is the only condition that the IMF uh, really has well, put The IMF out. called yeah. our political class a bunch of carpet sellers. Mm -hmm. uh, quite mm -hmm. demeaningly, and they said mm -hmm. that they were trying to get these people to act like they're running a state, um, but they're not really fitting of running your mom and pop store. Um, so we need a government that is credible, that is respectful, that its international partners will actually trust to come together with a plan involving all stakeholders, private and public, um, a plan that might endanger the... Um, the pillars of well-being of the mafia militia nexus. You know, our mafia um, resorted to filling up our bureaucracy and our public sector with the, a size that is about 100,000 more people than what they have in Singapore for the same amount of population and for the same size of the army. We've had experiences in the UAE where Mohammed bin Zayed came into the bureaucracy and decided to fire 60,000 people, 60,000 Yumna in one go, because he realized that this is just a structure for nepotism and waste and inefficiency. And instead, what our former government had as a plan was waiting for people to die so it could decide whether they want to replace them with new people or not. So we need something completely, completely different in terms completely of our government. Are you, are you for or against a departure from the political repartition decided for the type of core? Listen, um, I'm, I'm going to tell you this strictly as an academic that works on political systems. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. All this talk about blaming the system for our ills is mm -hmm. completely misguided because, you know, we don't have a system. Mm -hmm. We don't have a system. We have a mafia militia nexus. I've, I've lived. So we in, have a lack of a system I've, and there I've is somebody lived, to blame. There is somebody I, to blame. I, I, absolutely. I've, I've studied consociationalism for five years. I've lived in Bosnia Northern Ireland, in Iraq, Switzerland, Kenya, all of these states. And there are various models of constitutional design for consociational systems, power sharing systems between ethnic groups. Mm -hmm. But they're all half systems, Yumna. And a system by definition is a preordained set of rules that everybody follows. It could be a bad system, it could be a good system, but we have is no system at all. What we so have- you're saying, So you're saying a departure from the Taifa core. <laughs> no, we could, we, could, we could develop our constitutional structure into a form that's more centered on citizenship instead of sectarianism. We can develop in the way of Northern Ireland of going towards a more liberal form of consociation where people are not ascribed by birth what sect they belong to, but rather voluntarily belong to the sect. But all of this is completely irrelevant to the Lebanese debate because the way our political system functions is according to the rules, the ever-changing rules set by Hezbollah 
that allow the mafia to operate so and, rob blind, and rob blind the state. So the only the only path forward is to completely get rid of Hezbollah. No, what, what, I, what I'm saying, definitely in terms of living as a normal, secular, mm -hmm. neutral state in the future, this needs mm -hmm. to be done and there can mm -hmm. be no militias outside state control. But mm -hmm. what I'm saying right now is we don't have a constitutional structure, we don't have a constitutional system that resembles any of these countries in practice. If I so, it doesn't, so it doesn't matter whether or not we have early elections or not, right? No, it, do, it, it does. I'll get to okay. that. Okay, and tell but me why. Tell me why. Is, what I want to say is what we have instead of a constitutional structure by which everybody abides, we have Hezbollah's system that is outsourced to be run and managed by the mafia. So if I ask you a question, Yumna, for example, in Lebanon, are we closer to, say, Northern Ireland in that national unity governments should be always formed per constitutional decree? Or are we closer to, say, Bosnia, where it doesn't? Or are we closer to Switzerland, why it's, what, what, where it's done according to norms and not according to constitutional decree? You will not have an answer because our experience over the past 15 years is that that answer to that question is not a constitutional study or a constitutional opinion, but rather is what does Hezbollah want at that particular moment in history? If they want a national unity government so they can have Sunni and Christian cover for their arms, they'll argue in favor of that. Everybody across the board is to blame. You're not, not, the, the, yeah. essence, the essence of this nexus, of this magic poisonous formula, is mm -hmm. that the, maf the mafia wouldn't be able to sustain itself without Hezbollah's military might. And we saw this in the October Revolution when the mafia was under attack in the October 17th mm -hmm. Revolution, who came to its defense, who beat up protesters, who threatened protesters with using military power to block the, um, um, the demonstrations targeting the president of the public, who said that the government will not be allowed to fall. It was the militia. When the militia goes and fights in wars that we have nothing to do with, and our history, our, the glorious part of our history, the 40s, the 50s, the 60s, and the early 70s, were based squarely on the idea that we are a neutral state. We're a neutral state like Switzerland is, like Austria is, like the Netherlands is. And this idea of us being neutral vis-a-vis -vis regional conflict is what protected us in 1967 and 1973 when the entire region was in flames because of the Arab-Israeli conflict. Now, when the militia goes and fights elsewhere, if the mafia is getting its spoils, so if Hezbollah approves the Salata plan so Gibran can have a power plant in his village so he can win elections despite a complete lack of legitimacy and popularity, the mafia will go out and say, well, we understand why, we're, why they're doing this. They're protecting Lebanon. They're protecting Lebanon by fighting in Sama'a in Yemen. But if Hezbollah thinks for a second to break this transactional relationship and Hezbollah says, you know what, I'm going to listen to the street and I don't approve this Salata project, all of a sudden members of the mafia reconsider their position vis-a-vis -vis Hezbollah's regional adventures and they start talking about how it's not in Lebanon's interest to fight on behalf of other countries and intelligence services. So anyone, anyone, Yumna, that will tell you the militia is the problem in Lebanon, that's misguided. 
right? And anyone that that's only you, partly true is what you're saying. It's only yes, partly true. Yes, and anyone true, that tells right? you, anyone that tells you that the mafia is mafia. the problem in Lebanon and that Hezbollah, right. Hezbollah bears no responsibility. When Hezbollah does not only bear responsibility for protecting the mafia and enabling it and ensuring its survival, it also bears a standalone responsibility because our economy, like it or not, is 72% dependent on having healthy and constructive and friendly relations with Gulf states, Saudi Arabia, Kuwait, the UAE, Oman, Qatar, etc. What Hezbollah did is wage military and public relations war against these countries, which drove our economy into the abyss. So what you need is a structure and a plan to break this mafia militia nexus. All right, yeah. So here's my question, right? Um, and I wanna, I, wanna, I wanna start to wrap it up. Yeah. You know, we need a plan to break the M&M nexus is what you're saying. Yeah. What we've seen so far, the revolution started in October. We're closing in on a year after this revolution. Obviously those who are in power are not intent on leaving anytime soon. The mere fact that they would mention a return of Saad Hariri goes to show that what did the revolution serve in the first place? So what do you think it's going to take? What happened to the Sauda? What Now what? Well, I, I think after the bombing, the Lebanese people, especially the young women and men, put on one of the greatest displays of civic duty this country has ever seen at a time where the state was completely missing in action, completely yeah. unavailable, um, even blocking ways for the civic activists to make a difference in people's lives. I think people- They just don't care. Saleh, but doesn't it aggravate you because even in their response, what you would call the mafia, they were not only lacking, but it was, only, it was not only reckless to have that at the port and have, and we've lost friends and we've had friends injured, over 7,000 yeah. injured. Yeah. But doesn't the recklessness and the carelessness, doesn't it aggravate you? I mean, there are no words. Nobody came out to say, listen, let's provide shelters. Let's provide funds. They are not here. They're quite. They're like, they're like an absent mafia. They're not even there. Well, they're there when they're sharing their piece of the pie. They're yeah. there when there's a new power plant being built. They're there when there's a contract, contracting idea being followed through. All right, they so what do you do? Quite, but they're, they're not intent on leaving, right? They're not intent on leading. They're talking about Saad Hadidi coming back. So now what? Now what? Well, the revolutionary well, that we're talking about, the young men and women that represent us, represent you and me, they're leaving the country. Well, some are, some are leaving the country, and that's completely understandable. Some are actually yeah. coming back to the country because they feel like there's something to fight for and there's something worth preserving. And I think this revolution has been here for almost a year now. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. its its soul is alive and well. It has found new purpose in tragedy. And I think it will keep going. And then the end of the day, Yumna, we are a flawed democracy. We are a perverse democracy, but we are a democracy. And the only way to uproot this mafia militia structure is through elections. This mafia militia structure okay. actually got the power through elections. 50% of the Lebanese people voted and 90% of these 50% voted for these people. There has been okay, an enormous- so Salah, let me, so Salah, let me ask you, if there were elections today, yeah. after the revolution, after the explosion, would the people vote for the same leaders well, again? Let me tell you something, Yumina. Elections are not just about someone going to the ballot box and putting a piece of paper. 
Okay. Okay. The elections and it is an entire constitutional structure. So if you have 300,000 employees in the Lebanese state that are employed there through nepotism and owe their allegiance to the person that appointed them illegally, that's a problem vis-a-vis elections because these people have families. So you end up with approximately a million two hundred thousand votes for the mafia militia nexus that are wholly undeserved. Then you have the electoral law that needs to be amended in a way. That's what I'm saying. But this law in place, unless it's amended or changed, keeps getting the same people back well, in power. Well, well, you don't, you don't, you don't need to alter it altogether. But I would argue that you need to introduce to it reforms whereby some of the things that were put in place simply so people like Gibran Basile could get to parliament need to be amended. You need well, to introduce... You need to introduce something called the compensation vote, which they've used in many countries, such as in Iraq in 2005. The compensation vote allows for people that are secular, that have a nationwide platform that are not beholden to a particular region to vote for the party of their choice and get their party to parliament. There are all sorts of ideas in the literature on elections that we need to, as activists, as scholars, as journalists like you, push forward. Because Mm -hmm. I believe that if there's a new government, you can surely not have elections with this government overseeing elections because that would not be elections. That would be a complete distortion of democracy. Um, what you need is a new government that will manage the process with powers to an overseeing body. You need to fire 5,200 people that were appointed illegally to send a signal to people in the state that you cannot keep being beholden to the political and sectarian okay. and mafia bosses. That so like, what is the like... Will that happen? Do you see that happening? What is the, 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 the likelihood that this will happen? Well, objectively, I think there's, there's after the bombing, um, there's a new international mood vis-a-vis Lebanon. I think the French and the Americans and the Saudis and Arabs have understood the nature of the mafia militia nexus and are increasingly more on board with helping the Lebanese people dismantle it. I think the people on the ground are increasingly energized and aware of what's going on, notwithstanding the fact that people are busy refurbishing their houses, building their houses, putting pieces of their houses together, looking after the people that are in need financially and the people of the hospitals. So you know, you know what my fear, you know what my, you know what my fear is. And by the way, we only get an hour. So for everybody watching on the hour, I will clock out, save this, and then we'll clock back in to finish, um, to finish this interview because we do have some questions about your future. And you know, we want to know where you see yourself in five years. No, (laughs) no, but let me let me just tell you this. This is my fear, and then we'll we'll end it on this, and then we'll restart. Um, Okay. You know, when you have a hungry population, and this is, this, is, this is kind of the vicious circle that we're living in. We have a people today that is hungry, that is jobless, and a lot of them are stuck. They cannot leave. Yeah. They don't have opportunities. And my fear is, and I know a lot of people raised it, Dennis and Nira raised it here, is that when elections come and these people are hungry and they're jobless and they don't see an end in sight, right? 
And then you have this political elite that has the money, that has the, the, you know, the funds. Don't you think that people will sell their vote? Because that's how, you know, they've asaruna to a point. They got us to a point where, you know, we'll do whatever it takes to stay, to, you know, when you're hungry, you're hungry. So don't you have a fear that they will buy votes? Absolutely. Just Listen, let me, let me give you the, the academic answer and then I'll give you the policy answer really quick. All right, you have the, three minutes for that because okay, I'm going to have to stop the you from academic, that. Go ahead. The academic answer is very counterintuitively, the people who revolt anywhere in the world revolt because of theory called theory of rising expectations. So they're usually in the middle class, but they think they deserve better. They think they deserve to be upper middle class and upper class. Generally, revolutions from the days of Plato passing by Marx in the 18th century till today, the poorer people get, the harder it is for people to be politically active. I know that's very counterintuitive and people don't like to hear that, but it is the truth. When you're busy on a day-to-day -day basis, making sure there's food on the table for you and your mm -hmm. children, you have no time for political strategizing or going to a protest. So we are at a disadvantage here. We are at a disadvantage in the sense that our poverty levels have skyrocketed. And what you would want to see is more people going to politicians' houses, going to the streets, protesting, rioting, engaging in civic disobedience. But to be fair to the Lebanese people, so we're not self-flagellating all the time, the poorer we get as a people, the harder it is to fight back politically. That said, I think we have what it takes to make an effort all together as people involved in this process to make sure that the next elections are where there are checks and balances in the next elections. Because any government, Yumna, that comes with the auspices of the international community will have essentially in its role to make sure that elections are actually free and fair. Not free and fair in that Yumna can run or whoever can run. Free and fair just in the sense where votes are not bought. There was a study in 2009 at Columbia that 45% of the Lebanese sold their votes in 2009. That is a huge perversion of democracy and that delegitimizes the entire power structure that calls itself the state. There's no state. Saleh, I want to get to you and your future um, as, as many are asking about this. But before that, I just want to go back to this revolution. Um, I really like that you said, you know, although what we see on the ground is a lot of people believe the Thaura have lo has lost hope. A lot of these youngins and our young generation leaders leaving the country, uh, rightfully so. And you're saying, no, you know, there is hope. And um, obviously it's easier said than done. Yes. But um, you, you think they're going to come back in full force? You think Hariri is going to be named the next PM? What happens next, in your opinion? What's possible? Listen, um, I think what the country needs is a shock effect. We need shock therapy. More so we than need, we already have? Well, this is not shock therapy. This is shock destruction. Mm -hmm, but we need yeah. shock therapy. We need a prime minister that is completely immune. Okay, Saad Hariri might have some good things going for him here and there. He is liked by a lot of people. But his, what are our chances his, of getting Nawaz Salam? Somebody's asking. Well, we'd love that, wouldn't we? 
I, I, did he did he did he teach you? Did he? Yes. Teach you? He taught he was, me too. Yeah, he was my professor and my mentor he was a for a long time. Man. Yeah. He yeah. wrote my recommendations to both Harvard and Cambridge, and um, I I wish nothing for this country more than this man becoming prime minister. He's a decent stand-up man that is qualified and that will never, ever become part of the Mafia Militia Nexus. It, I think it runs against every single vein. What are the body. chances of him coming as prime minister? I think it's a fight, Yumna, to be honest. I think there is growing international consensus on a deal on, on, on someone like Nawaf Salam. I mean, I don't think it's a personal issue, right? If there are more Nawaf Salam, so be it. I mean, I think the country is full of good people, but he got the chance to, to show his strength and his professionalism at the UN. He's now at the International Court of Justice, one of 15 judges that rule on interstate um, um, issues. I think it would actually be, you know, it's interesting because when you think about these people, they're actually, they would actually be making, um, be, be giving up something that is significant to come and serve in this country. And most of the people who serve in public office in this country. I mean, who wants this lost, job when you think if, about it? Sorry. If they who lost, wants this job? Yeah. Well, 90% of people who serve in the Lebanese government, if they weren't in political power, I have a lot of doubts as to whether someone would employ them at all. Yeah. Um, and you have Noah Salam being at the ICJ, mm-hmm. uh, voted upon by the United Nations, um, and he's serving there. So we would be quite fortunate. I think there's a growing consensus in the international community that the mafia militia nexus structure, irrespective of the share of mafioso in each and every political leader, this needs to be laid to rest. Uh, We will go back to our normal constitutional prerogative and functioning of a political system, but right now we need to be above water. And you need to have a government that is a complete break from everything we've seen over the past decade. It needs to sit there, work on the economy, make sure we rebuild Beirut, agree to a deal with the IMF and run early elections so we can get new people. So that, what, you, you see that happening in the next two, three years because it looks like things are getting a little bit difficult, but do you think that has any chances of happening? And then I want to turn the question to you. Um, I mean, Listen, for all the tragedy and the pain that came out of the Beirut explosion, I think it made a lot of people realize that we cannot continue as we've been doing things for the past years. Um, I think the international momentum is in our favor. I think we need to be more organized. I think we need to be more strategic. I think we need to be more realizable goal oriented. But I think we can, I'm, listen, it's fair to be a dreamer and a realist at once. There's a difference between dreaming of a better country and being naive. Um, and I think there's a lot that we can get done um, if we organize ourselves better and strategize our objectives better. Do you, people are asking, do you ever, are you seeing yourself, are you preparing for a, um, a future in politics? I'm preparing for a book. Um, right no, now, you, that's I not am, answering my question, though. Well, I am perfectly answering your question because I'm telling you what I'm actually preparing for. No, you um, have, a book has nothing to do with politics. You, that's exactly what you told me 10 years ago. You were preparing for a book then. But do you I'm see yourself possibly, possibly, no, 
let, well, let me let me phrase it this way: Are you open to uh, a life in service in politics and political? Listen, there's, I'll be honest with you. I'm not primarily because you're a friend. I don't think there's any answer to this question that's not cliched. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm going to tell you, like, I'm going to say it to you like it is, right? Um, I have a passion for public life. I went to government school at Harvard with the sole purpose of coming back. Um, you sent me an interview that I had given to the Harvard Gazette at the time where yeah. I speak of wanting to come back and serve. Um, I am not enamored with power. If I was, my family was in power for five years and I chose not to be here. So it is not something that I go to sleep at night thinking about. Um, now, I'm just starting my career as a scholar, as an academic. Okay. Okay. I want to teach, I, I want to write a book. And in the future, I, if there's an opportunity without compromising any of the things that I believe in, um, then that might that opportunity might be the right thing to do. But we'll all see. Right. Not now. That, that's such a, by the way, that's a, as your friend, that's a very politically correct answer, if I may say, since since you're calling on the French. Well, what do you want me to say? I want to, I want to read what a young, you're still young, what a younger Saleh Mashnu said to the Harvard Gazette. They asked him, they asked him, what are you hoping to do once you graduate? And Saleh answered a million things. I want to create an online media platform for politics and news targeting the young generation. I want to advocate and promote democracy, human rights, and rule of law in the Arab world. I want to serve my country and the cause so many Lebanese have sacrificed for through my political action group. Um, and then he, you know, so I that think- That sounds about right. Yeah, I think there is- We just added, we just added a PhD and a book to that mix. So yes. I have a little I, bit on my plate now. I, so humble of you. <laughs> no, I, what I, you know, what I think we all wish for is um, you're, you know, your dream of a new Lebanon, and I think everybody shares this dream, right? Of a, of, a, of a Lebanon that will rise from the ashes, a Lebanon that will be stronger than before, a Lebanon that has proved a failure over and over again, disappointing its people, driving its people away, killing its people. Um, and you're saying there is hope for a new political era. Does it start now or will it take time to start? No, I think we're already in it. I think it started in October 17th. I think most of us before October 17th have kind of held on to this feeling of continuous despair. Like, this is how we are. This is who we are. This is how we live. Things are going to go on like this forever. And then you have the greatest display of civic action. Young people, secular young people, Lebanese young people wanting a better life a better life based on the rule of law, based on people following the constitution, based on politicians not being inherent in sectarianism, based on not being ruled by mafia militia nexus. But these roads are long, Yumna. This is a marathon, not a sprint. If anyone thinks that there's this whole structure of power and interests that runs all the way from Beirut to Zahran, uh, that will be completely deconstructed by us protesting for three overnight. months over. Overnight, that's wrong. But we need to determine what kind of short-term and medium-term and long-term goals are achievable. Um, and no matter how much of a dreamer one is, they need to recognize the difference between what is achievable now and what isn't. And this is why I always say, 
we have no system for people to be striving to change the system. We have a mafia militia nexus that we need to slowly, carefully, and steadily deconstruct. And then from then on, we can start to try and build a country that us and uh, our friends and our cousins and children and parents and everybody uh, can be proud of and can actually live in. You know, it's, it's interesting and I will, I'll leave it there with your last words for the youth. Um, for anybody watching, I just wanna say a few words in closing. Um, I personally came back from the United States 10 years ago and I worked in news uh, for six years. I still work in news, but no longer locally for an international, I'm an international correspondent. And I'll tell you one thing I've seen in the last 10 years. And, you know, as cliche as it sounds, the Lebanese spirit in times of destruction and the Lebanese spirit in times of destruction is every year. I wish there was a year where we had a break. We haven't had a break. In the last 10 years I've been here, I've seen no break. And it keeps getting worse. And I know a lot of you write to me and say you feel despair and you feel hopeless and rightfully so. And I, and I understand. And I think, you know, it's interesting because as Saleh was saying, there is a problem with the system is that there is no system or the system is lacking or however you want to, our viewers want to make of it. But this idea that we should give up because that's just the solution. I don't know anybody who's achieved anything after giving up, but I knew people, I know people who have achieved things after failing over and over and over again. So Saleh, when you think about the youth and you mentioned here that, you know, in when a younger Saleh said, you know, I want to target the young generation when it's, you know, when you and I, we have nieces, we have nephews, our future children, hopefully, you know, what's the promise? What's, what's next? Whether you are in politics or not, whether people who are watching want to vote for you or not, whether they want to or not, whether they agree with your father or not father, you guys, we've read all your comments and thank you for remaining polite, by the way. I need to give it to you, to our viewers who are actually good people. What do you make of it when you think of the youth? Well, first I must say that we all have a role to play from whatever position we're in. Um, if you are an artist, an entrepreneur, a journalist, a scholar, a carpenter, whatever you are, um, your role as a citizen of this country is to stand up for what's right and speak up for what's right and participate in civic action in whatever capacity you're able to do so. You don't need to be in politics, so to speak, in a traditional sense to play a role in changing things. Um, listen, Yumna, I'm like to think of myself probably as a historian. There was a time where we weren't like that. There are books written by foreign Western scholars in the 1960s, 65, a book called Politics in Lebanon by Leonard Binder that says this country is a model for all third world countries on how to manage a diversity of ethnic groups. Our country has been known as the Switzerland of the Middle East, not just for its nature and its banking system, but also for its ability of different groups to coexist and build a liberal, thriving economy, not a crony capitalist economy, but a truly capitalist economy based on personal incentive initiative. Um, this is a country that had its heydays, despite us being ethnically diverse at the time, despite us having a political system where we shared power at the time. We lived well. We were the most, what we were, the other day I was doing research on Singapore because I think Singapore is a 
wonderful success story of going from third world to first but world. But it's also it's also a very new and young country. It has that on its side, you know. Well, it's barely well, fifty-five years old. Well, we're 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 only a hundred years old. We're celebrating our centennial um, on the first of September. <laughs> it feels like yeah. It feels like a lot of years, but we you know. Lebanon was richer than Singapore in 1972, and today we're poorer than Venezuela. This is not fate, Yumna. We're not, we have some of the most educated, most entrepreneurial, most successful fighting spirits in the world. It's mm -hmm. no coincidence, and it's one, it's actually one of our curses that every time a Lebanese decides to, live a, to leave the country, in two weeks they have a job in Dubai or in Saudi Arabia or in France or in London. Um, our people are better than this. They deserve better in the, than this. And I think we have a historical record to fall back on and to aspire to revive. Not to quote Donald Trump, but like make Lebanon great again. <laughs> no, since you mentioned Donald Trump, I'm going to get two more questions. One is from a 17-year-old who wants a question on mentorship. This I will send you privately, Saleh, and I I'd hope love you will to. answer. But Anytime. this, and we'll end with this, Ryan Shama, who's been asking all night, Please ask of the effect of agreement between Iran and U.S. since you mentioned Trump, and will that change things? And we'll end on that question. Okay, um, I, I don't think there's an agreement between the Iranians and Americans before the November yes. elections. Mm -hmm. um, there might be in, an agreement after the November elections. Um, it will take a lot of push and pull. The two things that I want to say is we have a role not to be pawns of any international agreements between two states that surely do not have Lebanon's best interests at heart as a priority. These are nation states that look out after their own interests. Second, analytics aside, we should all be striving for Lebanon to be a neutral state, the way every single successful ethnically divided small state in the world in the 20th century has been. We have no way to make sure this country thrives, militia, mafia notwithstanding, without regaining a neutrality that is active, the way Switzerland is participating in the UN, participating in peacekeeping forces, but a neutrality that is strong and militarized. So we can make sure that while we are neutral, but per international law, we can also defend our country. Um, in the face of any aggression, whether it comes from Syria, Iran, Israel, no matter who. Um, the and that's, only and that's that the hope, that's together. the hope, because Lebanon has been the battlefield for these regional countries forever. And right. it's and hard, it's time, you know, but Saleh, it is hard to imagine Lebanon without any regional interference. It's almost well, like we've gotten used to it. That's Neutrality not, that's, is a hope. It's a, that's, not, that's not true at all. Our national pact was centered, was, yes. was, was built on the very foundation of neutrality. We spent every year from 1949 till the entry of the PLO in 1969 for 20 years. We were neutral when Abdel Nasser came to Lebanon in 1958, President Fouad a bastion of neutrality, mm -hmm, met mm -hmm, him mm -hmm. at the border in attempt yeah. to say that you don't come to Lebanon, I will meet you at the border. I know, but Saleh, is, I, but Saleh, the geopolitics of the Middle East are forever changing since then, you know, since the well, 70s, were, when you think about be, it, to you know? Fair, you know not, to be fair, historically, two things. A, mm -hmm. the regional dynamics in the 60s and the 50s mm -hmm. were worse than they are today. The Arab-Israeli conflict was in full swing. The 1967-73 wars between Arab and Israel were 
earth-shattering wars. B, Switzerland maintained its neutrality through two world wars. They are made up of ethnically German, 70%, and ethnically French, 20% citizens. And the French and the Germans went to war, and Germany invaded France. But the Swiss decided it was in their strategic national interest to put themselves and their interests first. And they brought down American planes and German planes, and they kept their economic relationship with both the Germans and the Americans. And they told everybody that they will not take sides, and they will not have... Switzerland become a victim of wars of greater powers that doesn't don't have Switzerland's interests at heart. Here's we have hoping. a history of doing this. We have, we, ha- we have a history of doing that. Here's hoping that we can go back to that because if anything, the last year has proven is that Lebanon has changed immensely in the last year. People are no longer silent. People have new weapons at their disposal, their voices, social media. You can't hide things the way you used to. And we're, we're strong enough to bring down governments. And, you know, and we're strong enough to, we're strong enough to elect new people. We have to the, realize that. The most that, important thing, Yumna, that I've seen over the past year, to be honest, mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. that feeling of people genuinely and willingly saying that Lebanon's interests should come first. We yeah. are tired of being pawns in greater ideological schemes that countries who don't want to fight each other or Israel or the United States or global imperialism, they want to preserve their economy and their stability and their well-being, but we have to fight as Lebanese on their behalf so they can thrive in their, their ideological projects. So people have been going to the street and saying, we want to look after ourselves. We want our national interests to be prioritized. We want the Lebanese to look after Lebanon first, And then if anyone wants to, for religious um, or spiritual reasons, have any affiliation with the Pope or Khamenei or whoever, they're free to do so. But political transnational alliances and affiliations should be constitutionally banned. And that ban, I think, should be strictly enforced. And I think, you know, I think that's a valid point because now, granted, the... um, the functionality of Lebanon is a lot more complicated than Switzerland, but actually, it, that's I, is it. I don't want to is be it not true? But, I mean, they didn't, they, didn't have, they didn't have militia. They didn't have militia. They, you know, they, militia they, they fought civil wars. Um, they fought for Napoleon and against Napoleon. Um, they fought civil wars. They actually still have militias to this day, but their okay. militia are managed by the state and by the national army. So their militias is just a smart way to make sure that a small state can defend itself through the Alp region. So they have, the legal, they have legalized militias. Well, they have a militia that's actually a nationalized militia, not a militia that works for the Germans or the Italians or the French. They work for Switzerland. All right. And listen, ethnic divisions in Switzerland are, I would say, on a social level, and I've done some poll work on this for my PhD are actually worse than Lebanon. Um, they, so if Switzerland can make it happen, then so can we, is what you're saying. If we, if we agree like the Swiss that A, Lebanon's interests come first, mm-hmm. B, that we're a neutral state, then we yeah. could be just as successful and just as thriving as Switzerland or Singapore or any other state that we look up to. Right. Saleh, and on that, on those words, thank you. I want to say, sorry about internet. Because, no, I want to say you. thank you because that's a very positive outlook. And you know what? In times like these, um, 
you know, the future remains unknown, but the fact that we actually are speaking these into words yeah. and hopefully speaking reality into words um, for the future, for the young generation, because it really lies within them. Thank you for being with us. Did I, Research, did I make it up to you by not sharing my food 10 years ago? Research. <laughs> did you, do you really want to go public with this? You wanna, I, do you want to go I, public like to, with this? We have, like we have think, people watching. I will I, tell the story. I'd like to think I will that tell I, the story. I'd like oh, to think I, that I... I'd like to think that I'm intellectually and emotionally mature. Do you so guys want to hear the story? Do you guys want to hear the story? No, 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 no. Since you started it. <laughs> no, <t> I don't even know where to go with this. No, let's Thank end you for with Switzerland. Thank yeah, you. let's end with Switzerland. Guys, message me for the story if you want, if you want to hear a little bit of juicy news behind the scenes. Um, Saleh, thank you for being with us. Thank you so much. Um, here's to the future and a brighter one at that. Um, because, it, you know, we keep saying you can't get worse. And then somebody says, hold my Diet Coke or something, and it keeps getting yeah, worse it's, for us. It's going to, so I don't want to end on a bad note, but it's it's going to get much worse in three months when our better. foreign reserves are depleted. Uh, so people need to fight back because we're going to a very, very dark place. All right. So all right. on that note, um, thank you all for watching. Thank you. And Saleh, thank you. We're going to have this available on a podcast. and. Um, Take care of your internet, all right? I will. I will. You got it. You got Good it. Good night. Thank you to everybody for watching. Good night. Good night.